Welcome to our first segment of this afternoon's program. It is Sunday, the 30th of January, 2022. It is now 1.02 p.m. in the studio. I'm your host, Kieran Murdoch. Uh, in this half hour, we'll be talking about the politics of the day, primarily reacting to the campaign launched by the main opposition United Progressive Party, the UPP, in recent days. Uh, it seems in a determination not to be caught without adequate time to mobilize, the UPP intends to get a head start on the Antigua and Barbuda Labour Party in terms of the official campaign, and not that both parties have not been canvassing throughout each constituency for months now. Uh, now, the party held a drive-in launch on Thursday night, which featured a number of its candidates and speeches by its party leader and others. Now, the party has built a message around the certain slogans such as the right choice uh, we respect your choices and your freedom and the refrain jobs freedom water and choice uh, on this segment we will be asking has the main opposition party taken too great a risk or could the decision give them an advantage and we'll also ask whether the branding of the campaign is prudent uh, joining our discussion for this segment we have with us dr george brathwaite a lecturer in the department of government sociology social work and psychology at the University of the West Indies, Cavehill. He's also a former consultant editor at the Caribbean Times. Uh, good afternoon to you, uh, Dr. George Brathwaite. How are you doing? Kieran, I'm very well. Uh, and good afternoon to my fellow panelists, and good afternoon to all Antigua and Barbuda. And uh, secondly, we have joining us Mr. Carla Knight, political and socioeconomic affairs commentator. Good afternoon to you, Mr. Carla Knight. How are you doing? Good afternoon, Kion. I'm fine. And good afternoon to the listening public of Antigua and Barbuda and to my fellow co-panelists as well. Uh, Dr. Brathwaite, some see this as um, an early campaign launch, too early ahead of elections, which are due by March of next year. Others, of course, are near certain that the Prime Minister will call an election with minimal notice sometime within the first half of this year, uh, meaning that starting now might be advantageous for the United Progressive Party. What do you think? Um. Iran, there can be mixed ways of uh, of seeing this. For one, I think the, the the whole notion of exposing your candidates uh, to the population and, and bringing that sense of familiarity, I think that is really good. That's a good move. However, if the UPP uh, believes that without having a large enough, sizable enough uh, proportion of the population behind them. It can go to naught. Uh, opposition parties, they get this team generally from the electorate. And it is on that basis that you would see them coming and perhaps prematurely or try to force the hand of a government. I am not reading that is necessarily the case in Antigua and Barbuda. Of course, I, perhaps I'm not proximate enough, but from what I'm reading and hearing and understanding and the things I'm following, I think there are some questions being raised on the UPP itself. There are some questions being raised in terms of the government. But to the extent that you can say a majority of the population is it is with the UPP to, to force the prime minister's hand. I, I, I think that is ambitious thinking. And and the, the, the other attachment to that is once they once the UPP or any of the other opposition parties, once they think that they have gotten ample ignition 
and attempt to push back on government or to force government's hands, prime minister's hands in this case. The reality is then that the prime minister can let them waste resources, utilize resources. So once the launch, yes, I, I can accept the launch, but from here on in now, they have to be strategic and strategic in your messaging strategic within the context of, of, of communities. All politics is local and one day in politics is a long time. So uh, if they've launched now, they have to keep up some momentum with doing some activities. And I would suggest once now that they've launched, they can't go too big, too fast. Otherwise, I'm sure the prime minister as a strategic thinker as he is, I'm sure he would continue to tease and tease maybe into another eight, 12 months, 15 months before he calls an election because he has it, he has that advantage. And particularly if we are now looking to get the economy and the society moving again, given the circumstances of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, Mr. Carla Knight. That's my opening. Mm. Mr. Carla Knight, some suggest that uh, too early a launch may lead the opposition to a place where it loses momentum, uh, it loses resources or, or popular interest, essentially that it might fizzle out um, and, and that it could be at this time that the uh, the ruling Antigua and Barbie Labour Party might choose to mobilize. Um, what do you think of the decision to launch in January? I mean, being, of course, that the Prime Minister has, uh, as Dr. Brathwaite has said, been teasing about an election for uh, quite a few months now. Um, well, certainly a year-long um, campaign launch is not that unusual in terms of candidate politics. The fact of the matter remains that an election in Antigua and Barbuda must be called at least within 12 to 15 months or thereabout, plus he has 90 days. So we know that the the uh, five-year term of this government would come to end, I think, on March 23rd of next year, right? Plus that he would have a 90-day period, if he so chooses, to... Um, do that. So you're looking at about a year, year and a half before the election. This is not, to my mind, uh, unusual, and it's not entirely a far-fetched notion uh, that the prime minister would be inclined to call election this year. So um, I think that certainly what we're seeing is a United Progressive Party that is is clear that it will not be caught with its pants down like the last time where they were scrambling to get people in place, scrambling to get an election campaign mobilized, scrambling to put all the pieces of the puzzle together because the prime minister called a snap election for which it was clear to, to, to the eyes of the ordinary public they were not ready. I think the message to the people of Antigua and Barbuda is this time we are serious, this time we are ready, this time we have a campaign that is, it is, is, is uh, fit for purpose, it is we have serious people, we have serious organization, um, and whenever the election is called, be it this year or next year, uh, the we will be ready to contest the election with full, with full force. And I think that is a good thing. As to whether it will be fizzled out, um, I'm, I'm not sure that I would I would say that. It depends a lot on how you strategically plan the next month, next year, year and a half until the election, or perhaps less than that. It depends on what your 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 mobilisation on the ground looks like. It depends on what your activities look like. Is the difference between having a campaign launch and having a full full swing campaign? I don't see. I don't think we'll see full swing campaigns uh, much till, till much late in the year. But I do think what we'll see is constant engagement, constant meetings, constant discussions, which I think should happen. 
to ensure that Antiguans and Barbudans are kept fully abreast of what is happening insofar as the opposition and what they intend to do um, um, for the people in the next election. So I think what we are seeing very clearly is an opposition that says we will be ready for whenever this election is called. Um, it will not catch us by surprise and uh, tell the prime minister to bring it whenever he wants to bring it. Uh, Dr. Brathwaite, let me bring you back in on that point. Uh, it may seem like a very basic question, but what is the value of a campaign? How, how does a campaign actually generate support uh, in terms of the, you know, the, the, the real practical application of, of politics at the ground level as compared to the year-round activities and canvassing that parties do all year round? Uh, what would you say would, the, the, would be the basic objectives of any party in an election campaign? Uh, you're still um, you're still muted there, Doctor Brathwaite. You haven't unmuted your microphone as yet. Sorry about that. Uh, I think for any campaign, but particularly in this instance, let's hone in on the UPP. I think there is merit in your signaling state of readiness. As I suggested, the political campaign itself is a strategic effort where you are now bringing all of your diverse elements within the, the construct of your political party together. So fundamentally, it is about rallying. It is about mobilizing within. It is about getting your resources. Now is the time to ensure that you have the most money to spend on the day and the, the day of and the day, the couple of days before an election. That is when you're going to need most of your resources. So I am. I, I think to, if you're going to be looking to have these national, uh, if you're looking to have these big national meetings and events, I think I think uh, the prime minister will play. Uh, I think at the same point in time, if you are being wise and strategic and learn from lessons, even when the UPP. Uh, was in government, they taught a few lessons, and that is that you have to know exactly those who will support you, your numbers, and or, or at least percentage, and those who wouldn't, and those who are in the middle. Now is the time you should be trying to get hold of the middle of ground persons and pulling them into your camp, getting them to support you, not just with talk, but with in terms of lending their human resources, their skills, their talents, now is the time to bring them in in terms of utilizing them on social media and getting your messaging across. And now is the time to bring in the finances. You say you're in readiness, so you can't be caught shorthanded six or eight months or a year from now without adequate resources and without having done ticked off on a number of those items that a political party would do in terms of managing the campaign. So you want to know who's going to manage your campaign. Are you going to divide it in zones? Who will be these zone managers? Who are these? Who are the surrogates of my political party? Who are the ones I want to hear? I want to be Antiguan public to be hearing on radio. Who will be my best speakers? Who are the ones to share the lashes if they need to share lashes? So this is this is really a planning stage in terms of your campaign, and these are the things that I think they ought to be strengthening on internally, and perhaps in consultation or some type of collusion with any other oppositional forces because it is the government the ablp and we know from experience now certainly uh 
over the last 10 years that the ABLP machinery when it comes to politics, it, it keeps itself pretty much better grease. Uh, coming back to you, Mr. Carla Knight, um, I, I, I want to pick up on that point there from Dr. Brathwaite on all opposition forces. Uh, do you think that the Democratic National Alliance is, is, is still a factor to be considered, Mr. Carla Knight? I mean, we, we know who, of course, the, the various candidates for the Antigua Bobby Labour Party are. Most of them are sitting MPs. Uh, there's a situation in St. Peter in terms of the candidacy of Mr. Michael versus the, uh, the, the hopeful, uh, that's the, the Labour Party hopeful there, Mr. Um, Turner. Um, I think there's one or two other issues. Uh, All Saints East and St. Luke. I'm not sure who may be running there uh, for the Labour Party. Um, maybe one other place I'm not remembering right now. Uh, but pretty much we know who the, the red guys are. Say again? It's Tintin. Colin Tintin James will be running for Labour Party. Oh, okay, okay, okay. okay. All right, all right. No problem. Thanks for that. Um, so, yeah, we know who the red guys are. We know who the blue guys are. But we don't so much know who the orange guys are. At least I don't. Um, I'm not aware that they have um, a fully released, uh, 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 you know, who the entire state of candidates running will be. Um, do you think that the, the Democratic National Alliance will still be a factor in this election, one? And two, do you see any prospects for any form of collaboration, cooperation in terms of who runs where um, and who focuses on what? So, I mean, it's, it's, it's always difficult for third parties to sort of mobilize the polls. And last election, DNA had 13, 13 analysts um, It would be very interesting to see if they could get the full slate of 17 people. Though I'm not particularly sure that's the best mm. and the wisest. We're not hearing you terribly clearly, think... Mr. Knight. Sorry about that. If Sorry. Be a little closer. Sorry. Can you hear me better now? A little better, yes. Was it? Um, so I was saying I'm, I'm not particularly certain that's the best way to go about utilizing very minimal resources if you're a third party. Um, so I, I have always been a fan of tactical voting. I have made this point in several forums before. I have made the point that I do not see the reason why the opposition forces should not have in this election. It's too late now because the UPP has already declared their, their state of 17 candidates. But I think going forward, we really, if you really want to think about moving Labour, then it has to be, which is more important to you, having a slate of candidates to show that you are a person uh, are capable of governing on your own, or the idea of denying Labour Party as many seats as possible. We saw this in St. Lucia, for example, where the ruling administration chose to not feel a full slate of 17 candidates because they realized that there were two independent candidates that were capable of winning the seats on their own. And rather than fracture the vote, they said, well, you know what? At this point, it's more beneficial to us to have the ruling the then ruling administration out of power and deny them as many seats as possible than for us to be concerned about showing that we can put 17 people on a ticket. You have, in a case of Antigua and Barbuda, I'm not particularly certain that you're going to have a situation where, um, like, take, like, take, like take St. Peter's, for example. Look at St. Peter's. I'm not particularly certain the value of having um, opposition candidates in a constituency where the opposition has never won, right? St. Peter's seat, for example, has always has never voted Labour, right? For the very first time... Never voted for the opposition. I, I, I stand correct. I mean, never voted for the opposition in the history, history of this country. For the very first time, right, we have a situation where we could have an independent member of parliament. There's a very real possibility that Asset Michael, if he runs as an independent, would win. 
based on the level of loyalty in that constituency. I don't think it's a wise act. I would, I would let that be a straight fight between Neymar and Asif Michael. And I think that if that was the case, it would be a strong possibility that Asif Michael would prevail. But now you're having uh, both the DNA and the UPP contesting. I think what the UPP is hoping for is that the, um, the, the, the Labour Party vote would be fractured so badly that it gives their candidate a chance to come through to the class. So if they can maintain their, their, their support base and the, the Labour Party vote is, is fractured, they can come through. It's a gamble. It may pay off for them. Let's hope it does. But at the same time, you're talking about constituencies where the Labour Party is on a, a, a marginal seat, for example. Um, you look at a, a seat also like Rural West. Rural West, I think, in that seat, the having a DNA candidate in the form of a Malika Parker or Anthony Stewart, who are both very strong candidates, to my mind, doesn't very factor very well for Richard Lewis and helps the Labour Party. Not to say that they can't get votes from the Labour Party, but it is to say, you look at where these where these DNA persons are coming from. They're coming from um, constituencies or people that were once the United Progressive Party supporters. So the most logical conclusion is that attrition in support is not going to come from the Labour Party um, support base. It's going to come from the otherwise United Progressive Party support base, who then, because of disaffection, gone over to the DNA. That hurts the chances of an opposition getting into power. But of course. They sit in a much different way. So I do think in some of these seats, and as well as seats like Rural North, I, again, in, in the case of the United um, Progressive Party, I have been on record in saying that I think that the, the stronger guy is the DNA guy. So there are some seats that I think the DNA is a stronger candidate. Like I think the guy, um, um, uh, Louis Rivera from the DNA, I think should have been a much better candidate to go forward than, than Perkins. Mean, that's my assessment. So you look at you look at these various seats and you ask, well, why is it we don't do tactical voting? Why is it that we don't put the strongest candidate in the seat and not this sort of pettiness about I don't want to work with them because I don't like them and I don't and all this personality. So then you need to think a bit more Machiavellian. And I think that one of the things that Dustin Brown does very well is that he's much more of a tacticianer and a schemer and a planner than the opposition. And I think until the opposition gets into this mood where they see it as a political chess game and get very strategic and very tactical in the way they, they do things, and we're not going to get... I think the Labour Party is going to be in, in power for a, a good time to come. Yeah, I think Chad Green said um, 40 years. Um, Dr. George Brathwaite, um, <laughs> jobs, freedom, water, choice. Uh, this is apparently part of the United Progressive Party's 2022 mantra. Uh, at least at this time, along with the slogan, we respect your choices and your freedom. Uh, now, I'm going to be blunt. The party has been attacked by the ABLP over its messaging on COVID-19, on vaccination and on COVID restrictions. Um, over the course of 2021, the UPP was routinely accused by the ABLP of bolstering and or bandwagoning on anti-vax sentiment, vaccine hesitancy and anti-COVID restriction sentiment. Uh, so my question to you is, what do you make of these messages? Freedom and choice, and we respect your choice and your freedom. I think uh, being quite honestly and trying to be as fair as possible, I think it is a message that will not carry the momentum, particularly if it is if it becomes protracted and prolonged in terms of the actual day of the election. Uh, even at this time, I think persons across the Caribbean recognize that uh, governments were in a difficult situation in terms of mandating or allowing choice. But when you have a public health uh, 
issue such as the COVID-19 and a pandemic, you're going to make the hard choices. Indeed, it may result that Gaston Brown comes out the winner, given the amount of persons that have been vaccinated, given the, uh, the, the fact that the economy is beginning to open, given the fact that you're beginning to see the cruise ships and the airliners coming, and with a good ending to the winter season, and then allowing time to, to really start getting your, your social um, net safety net back in gear, uh, I could see the government being returned uh, overwhelmingly. I think uh, perhaps a stronger message that ought to have been coming from the UPP is one of governance and you package it in the sense of governance because of the internal wrangling that you would have heard with the EABLP, the wrangling that you would have heard with the EABLP and and portions of the trade unions and the fact that there were some types of language or practices that introduced elements where the electorate may have been discomforted and i think if you package that in in, in governance and you're going to talk about governance and leadership you may be able to factor in aspects of the choice matter you may be able to factoring things in terms of the unemployment although people will accept that the economy had to go through this and things like the inflation and stuff are globally globally produced and induced then by us here in antigua and barbuda and the rest of the caribbean so i think you're going to see a balancing of practicalities and i think the upp by coming with that slogan as it is broken as it is it reminds me uh, the Bolshevik revolution, you know, uh, and that was the thing. But what worked for Lenin in 1917 is not going to work for the UPP in 2022. So I would suggest that they need to really put it at a threshold of governance and the elimination of anything that would tarnish the reputation of Antigua and Barbuda, as opposed to going on those issues, although locally and within the constituencies themselves, that is where your local messaging and you bring in your one-to-one -one contact and you call names of persons you know who were disaffected etc and you use the local politics in that way but on the national stage i think it is a, a message that will likely fall flat particularly uh if antigua and barbuda does get over this phase that we're in now with some relative success, as they seem to be doing, mm. Mr. Carlin Knight. I, I, I tend to disagree. I'm slightly mm. here. I think, I think that the the issue of saying choice, for example, was a very poignant and deliberate strategy, and it's a deliberate strategy based on the local context and what is happening. So we know that there have been issues, and people have been very disgruntled about um, the idea of, for example, public sector workers having to take. Um, jobs to be able to maintain their jobs or or anything of that nature. So the idea of saying that we will respect your choice, I think, is being is reflecting of what the the, the conversation on the ground and taking map unit is uh, currently saying. The problem with well, not the problem, but the 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 sort of issue with that strategy. It's a bold strategy. It's clearly a, a, a wedge issue that they can exploit. The issue is that it's easy to campaign on these things because they're easy emotive things, but then you actually, if you win, have to govern. And if you're going to take a strategy that is perhaps irresponsible or perhaps seem to be, from a public health perspective, not the wisest thing, 
um, and then you're going to be in government and you have to even take positions and take policies that are not going to be consistent with what your messaging is, then you have a problem. So I think they're trying to exploit the pandemic and they're trying to find, which is a pervasive thing, and it doesn't seem to be a, per a pervasive thing that's going to go away anytime soon. And they're trying to, to, to critique the government's management of the pandemic, which I think is one of the things they should do. Because I think this is one of the, the big topical issues in Antigua and Barbuda is the management of the COVID pandemic. I think that the issue of water as well has been a constant, constant conversation for people on social media, for people on, on, on the ground. It is the idea that we our public utilities, quite frankly, well, based on the conversation, I'm not in the country, but based on the conversation is the public utilities, state of public utilities is not up to scratch. And so the idea is we are going to be able to deliver on these policy failures that the Gaston Brown administration has not been able to do. Infrastructure, roads, those are the, those are the kinds of issues, failed promises on so far as investments that have not materialized. So the, what you're seeing to my mind is a, is a party that seems to be trying to take its cues from what people are talking about and then trying to integrate that into the, um, the most uh, visible way possible. The issue that I think the United Progressive Party has is whether people in Antigua and Arabia actually think that they're the ones that can actually deliver on these things. And so I think from the Labour Party's perspective, it's, it, it, if you were to respond to any of that, it's to say, well, you know, but you guys were in there for 10 years and you still had bad utilities. Well, Mr. Knight, let me... Let all me. these other issues. Mm. I want to jump in just to yeah, ask you ahead. on this point because we don't have a lot of time left. Um, I mean, how strategic do you think the decision to perhaps play on something like um, freedom and choice uh, amidst COVID-19, amidst the mandates and the, and the controversy surrounding those things, uh, how beneficial do you, do, you, do you think that will really be? I mean, do you think perhaps they are overestimating uh, the, 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 the swath of people that will... Um, buy into that message? Uh, and doesn't that open a line of attack from the government to say, well, uh, perhaps this is not the party that would have made the hard decisions? Yeah, it's certainly going to be a gamble. It's certainly, uh, there's certainly a response to it. You can say, well, you know, it's easy to oppose these things when you're opposing stake, but when you are going to take responsible decisions as a government, what would have happened if you, if you trusted these guys in government? Our, our cases would have been worse and the deaths would have been worse because they're very irresponsible. So there's a clear response to it. I'm just saying that you, when you're campaigning, when you're seeking issues, you want to find registries, right? And you never waste a good crisis. This is a crisis. And they're basically going to try and hammer the government on their management of it. Um, and I think that there are a lot of disaffected people well, it's sufficient enough to affect the people to get them into government is a different issue, but this is not the only issue. This is a an issue among several issues that they're trying to exploit. The question really is, is whether people actually buy what they're selling. And, and when Harold Lover, for example, when Harold Lover says he's going to um, um, pay the pilots uh, their, their settlements right away as, he, as soon as he gets into government. I mean, it's another issue that, that he's trying to exploit. The question is, do we buy it? Do you, you're, you're, so you're, you're selling us a lot of things that we like to hear, but do we really want to really buy what you're selling? Mm. Uh, Dr. Brathwaite, I'll give you the last question. This was only a half-hour segment, so this is going to be the uh, the end of it, folks. Uh, but Dr. Brathwaite, uh, for instance, if we look at the, the main opposition, United Progressive Party, in 2009 it had uh, overall across the country approximately 21,200 votes. Uh, by 2014, when the uh, Labour Party came into power, uh, the UPP picked up across the country 17,800 votes. In 2018, when we had a, a quite a significant dip in voter turnout, it was in the 70s, um, the opposition UPP picked up just 14,400 votes. That's approximate. 
Um, we have seen elections across the Caribbean where the pandemic has affected people's willingness to come out and vote uh, in different contexts and for different reasons. But we have seen significant dips in voter turnout across elections uh, throughout the Caribbean that have happened recently during this pandemic. Uh, what do you anticipate the impact of uh, a lessened turnout might be? Do you think that's going to evenly affect both sides? Do you think it's going to more affect the government, more affect the opposition? What do you think? The government, uh, as long as the government does not allow complacency to, 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 to set in uh, within its ranks, I, I, from where I sit and from what I'm seeing and hearing in the messaging, uh, and the fact that it has the stronger base, the by far more stronger and more active base, I think they will likely be returned. I think one of the problems that, uh, and this, if you had pointed, framed it in such a way in terms of bringing governance, then it would be a matter of leadership. And I think perhaps Mr. Lovell is trying to get, a, get away from the issue of leadership because leadership would suggest that you would have uh, broadened your base uh, locally it means that uh, even with the opposition, you would have at least had discussions and stuff. I'm talking about with the DNA and stuff, and you would have looked for ways in which to to bring back the, the what had worked for you in the past and fuse it with what the changes that we see demographic and otherwise in terms of the younger population. So I think uh, perhaps that is why the. Um, shied away from using governance but the reality Gaston Brown is going to put governance on the table and he's going to put leadership and he's going to put the fact that he has been assertive he will probably accept that he has not always been right but he's going to point to the results of where Antigua and Barbuda is and those are the things that when uh Lovell start dealing with those other issues, he's not going to be able to combat the pressure of actual evidence, and particularly if we see growth emerging after uh, this winter season. So I think he has really uh, put himself in a, in a foxhole, and to me, the better strategy would have been to prepare internally, but do not expose too early. And in exposing too early, I think he will get played again because he will see that he's dealing with a crafty guy on the other side. With that, we have to end this segment here, folks. I want to say thank you to both of our guests. Um, Dr. George Brathwaite, of course, uh, is a lecturer uh, at the University of the West Indies Cape. He's also uh, a former uh, consultant editor of the Caribbean Times, which was a newspaper here in Antigua and Barbuda. Uh, Mr. Carla Knight is a political and socioeconomic affairs commentator, and he will be staying with us for our next segment. Uh, but thanks to both of you, and uh, have a wonderful day. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.